Welcome everyone, my name is Rebecca Bowler and I'm an astronomer working in this building, uh, actually just, just behind you here. And I'm going to talk to you about why REDDER is better and, and how we can explore the universe with the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. Now I'm sure many of you are familiar with Hubble, it's done fantastic things for astronomy over the last 27 years of its life. Um, and it's produced many, many beautiful images of the universe, one of which is shown as my background image here. So this is a very famous image, it's the Hubble Ultra Deep Field, and it's what you get if you stare at one patch of sky, a tiny, tiny patch of sky equivalent to a grain of sand on the end of my fingertip on the, on the, on the sky, for one month. So one month of time staring at one patch and collecting all the, all the light from that patch. And you can see here, every single dot you see here basically is a galaxy. So this is peering way back into the, into the universe, into the past, and showing us where we came from and, and all the different types of galaxies in the universe. So with images like this, you can imagine my horror when a few years ago I was watching the film Gravity and I saw the Hubble Space Telescope be destroyed in front of my eyes. It was awful. Nobody else seemed to understand, but there you go. Um, but fortunately for astronomers all over the world, Hubble is still going strong and it wasn't destroyed, so you don't need to worry. Um, and it, a couple of years ago, actually, it celebrated its 25th birthday and there was a big celebration for that. So before I talk about the successor to Hubble, I just wanted to talk briefly about, about Hubble itself. So Hubble was launched back in 1990, so it's doing very well now. Uh, it's a joint venture between NASA and ESA, which is the European Space Agency, working together to launch this telescope. Now it has a very similar design to the telescopes that hopefully you'll be able to use later on the roof. It's a reflecting telescope, um, light comes in the end here uh, and reflects off uh, a mirror. So if you look a bit closer, you can see that actually Hubble is, is not a particularly large telescope by today's standards. So its primary mirror, which sits around here, is 2.4 metres in diameter, so about 8 feet, something like this. So actually, that's not very big. If you, if you look at the telescopes we have on the ground in Hawaii or Tenerife, um, these telescopes are now 8 to 10 metres in diameter. So Hubble's pretty tiny, actually. But its power comes from its position in space. So it's above our atmosphere. And this helps for two reasons. The first is that it can um, look at wavelengths we can't observe from the ground. So we are fortunately protected down here on Earth from some of the very damaging ultraviolet radiation that comes from the sun. But astronomers want to study this actually in distant galaxies. So if we put our telescope in space, we don't have this problem and we can observe this high energy light. The good thing about being above the atmosphere as well is that we don't have to look through it. So if you go out maybe later and look at some stars on a romantic evening, you know, you see the stars twinkling and you think that's beautiful. But this is actually a huge pain for astronomers all over the world. You don't want your astronomical object to be wobbling around because of the atmosphere. So having Hubble in space solves these two problems. So if we look a little bit closer, um, this is actually some astronauts practicing uh, the 2009 uh, Space Shuttle mission to Hubble, which was the Shuttle Atlantis. So you can see for scale, this is the model of Hubble, uh, not, the real, not the real Hubble, um, in a big uh, swimming pool. And what the astronomers are doing here is they're practicing installing a new camera into Hubble. So it was built to be um, 
upgradable, which is a great thing for a telescope. Obviously, over time, your technology gets better. You want to put a better camera on there, look at different wavelengths. So um, this is showing them showing, showing you the, the astronauts practicing installing this uh, new camera, which was installed in 2009. And inside this box is essentially a whole load of mirrors and prisms and optics directing the light from the telescope into your instrument. And all that really is, is a digital camera. So at the end of all this uh, different light bouncing around is a, is a this. It's very, very small, actually. It's a, it's a 1,000 by 1,000 uh, pixel camera, which is a me one megapixel camera. So I'm sure many of you in your pockets have got cameras with more pixels than that. So you think maybe that's not so impressive. But this was, well, launched many years ago. And I'm actually, I'm being a little bit unfair. This is a, actually quite technologi technologically advanced camera. It's not looking at the kind of uh, light that we look, look at with our camera. It's looking at infrared light. OK, so that's a quick introduction to Hubble. And now I'm just going to talk to you about some of the amazing breakthroughs that have come just from this one telescope in the last 25 years of its life. So I hope you don't have any evening plans because you might be here for a couple of hours. No, I'm only joking. Um, the Hubble has done some amazing things. Uh, in fact, it was the first telescope to really um, confirm the presence of dark energy. So this is uh, using supernova explosions. It was able to pin down that our universe is actually 70% something we don't understand, so dark energy. It's been instrumental in looking at uh, dark matter in the universe. The presence of dark matter has been shown with many observations with Hubble. It's done the first observations of the elements for life in, another, uh, in a planet orbiting another star, so an exoplanet. It's also done the first image of, the direct image of an exoplanet, so it's provided the first image of a, of a planet orbiting another sun, so that's amazing. It's shown that most galaxies in the universe have a supermassive black hole at their centre, and it's also able to show us that there are galaxies in existence just a billion years after the Big Bang. So amazing amounts of science have come out of Hubble. So you'd be legitimate in asking, what is there left to discover? Why do we need another telescope? You know, we already, already discovered all this amazing science. And the answer to this is that Hubble uh, is limited in some senses. It's, it's fantastic, but it's not, uh, it can't do everything. You know, it's specifically designed for one purpose. So, so the, the limitations of Hubble are its size of its mirror. So if you have a larger mirror, you can collect more light. You can look further into the universe or in more detail at objects. The other limitation is the, the wavelengths it can cover, so the, the wavelengths of light, the type of light it can collect. So Hubble is really limited to the visible regime. So this is what we can see with our eyes, red, green and blue light. It can look a little bit bluer, so it can collect some ultraviolet light. And it can look a little bit redder, so it can collect near-infrared lights. So this is slightly redder than, than what we can see. But that's it. It can't look beyond these, this range. And so. If we want to understand the full galaxy, the full star, the full planet, we need to have a range of different wavelengths. Uh, we, we can't just look at one limited part of the spectrum. And to illustrate that, this is a picture of our nearest neighbour, the Andromeda galaxy, in visible light. So you can see beautiful, um, just about some spiral arms here, and a central bulge, which is a little bit redder than the rest of the galaxy. So this is invisible light, which is what Hubble would see. If we look at longer wavelengths, so infrared wavelengths, you can see actually the galaxy looks quite different. You can see it's got a similar structure. It's, a, it's definitely a galaxy, it's definitely a spiral galaxy. But you can see actually that these images look quite different. On the right, uh, you can see much more defined, these spiral arms. And that is because this light is coming from, is coming from the spiral arms. It's coming from, in fact, the, the dust and gas uh, that's a little bit cooler 
and it's showing us where these spiral arms are. And what's quite cool is if you overlay these images together, you can see that by combining them, you get a much fuller picture of the galaxy. So on the left here, you can see some gaps. So these are the, the dust lanes, like we see in our own Milky Way, that block out part of the light. Again, in Andromeda, you have these dust lanes around here. But this is actually what the infrared light is showing us. It's showing us where this, this dust is. So if we combine them together, you can see actually that this the image on the right kind of fills in the gaps on the image on the left. So that's quite neat. And only by combining these two things can we, can we see both components of the galaxy. So that's one reason why we need a, a different telescope, maybe an infrared telescope. This, hopefully, this movie... Yes, so this, uh, so this is a movie showing you a zoom-in of one particular patch on the sky. So it's, it's the ultra-deep field again. So you can see we're zooming past the stars in our own galaxy. And eventually, um, we've, we find this image, the Hubble ultra-deep field, tiny patch on the sky, as I said. And once we get there, what's going to happen now is we're going to start moving through the image. So astronomers have another piece of information, as well as the position on the sky, the coordinates, we also have its distance from us, and that's how we've made this movie. So we can zoom past the more local galaxies and go, path, uh, go back uh, to these more distant galaxies. So as the movie ends, you can kind of see why we might need a new telescope, because we're limited, right? We're limited in how far back we can go. We can see that the tiny red blob you could see there was one of the most distant galaxies that we know of. Uh, and through the fact that the universe is expanding and the galaxies further away from us are moving with this expansion, what we find is that their light is, is shifted. It's, it's called what we call redshift. So it means that, that galaxies, the further away they are from us, look redder, basically. Um, so the further back in time we go, the redder the galaxy gets. But at some point, the galaxy becomes so red that Hubble can no longer see it. It's too red for Hubble, basically. And so that's why moving to the infrared, moving to the red wavelengths is better. So that's the title of my talk, Redder is Better, because we can look further back in the universe, further back in time. And finally, a very pragmatic reason for a new telescope is that Hubble is not going to last forever. It makes me very sad to say it, but um, 2009, the Space Shuttle Atlantis mission to Hubble was the final servicing mission from NASA. They've decided no longer to service Hubble. Um, they've decided to spend their money on, on something else. And so Hubble is still going, astronomers are still using it, but it's not going to be serviced again, it's not going to be upgraded. And actually, one of the key parts of the last service mission to Hubble, they pushed it out further um, into space. And this is because the, decay, the, the orbit of Hubble decays with time. And so eventually, uh, in about 20, 2030 or so, it will uh, re-enter the Earth's atmosphere and burn up. So that's the sort of limit to the lifetime of Hubble from the fact that it doesn't have any way itself pushing itself further out. This image shows another problem you have if you leave your spacecraft in space. It actually quite nicely follows on from the previous talk. Um, Hubble is constantly being bombarded by, by high-energy particles from the sun. The solar wind is bombarding Hubble. And what it's doing, actually, is, is uh, degrading the cameras. It's degrading the materials that the telescope's made of, but it's also degrading the cameras. And so you may be able to see this trail here. Which is, which is going up from each object. And that's because these cosmic rays are shooting through the, the CCD on the camera and actually destroying the, the little wells that the electrons sit in. It's destroying the, the, walls, the walls in between these wells. 
And so over time, this means the telescope, the, the, the CCD is degraded. Uh, and so ideally, you'd go and replace this at some point. Okay, so that's why the sort of motivation for uh, a new telescope. And here it is. So this is the James Webb Space Telescope. This is actually an artist impression of what it will look like. I think the artist sort of embellished the background a little bit here, but I quite like it. It looks, re it looks really nice. And it's a really, really beautiful telescope. Uh, it's great for uh, talks like this because it's, it's actually gold-plated, so it looks fantastic. Um, there you go. So this is an artist's impression of what it will look like, but it exists. It's already been built. It's complete now. All the instruments are complete. And this is uh, how it was last year in the clean room at NASA Goddard Space Center in Maryland. So you can see here the scale of this thing. So here's a person here in, in a white coat. So this is an absolutely huge telescope. It's much bigger than Hubble. So its primary mirror is 6.5 uh, meters across or 21 feet. Um, so it's got a much larger collecting area. It's going to be launched in 2018. So October 2018 is the, is the launch date um, blocked out in uh, French Guiana. Um, and it's going to, instead of being in orbit around the Earth, which is like Hubble, Hubble orbits around the Earth once every 90 minutes, this telescope is going to be much further away from us. It's, we're going to send it off. It's going to take several months to get to its orbit position. And it's actually not going to be orbiting the Earth. It's going to be orbiting the Sun, a little bit further away from the Earth. So if you imagine I'm the Sun, this is the Earth, um, James Webb will be out here. They both orbit like this together. So they're both, both orbiting the Sun. If you're wondering who this James Webb character is, it's quite interesting. Uh, he's not actually a scientist, so Hubble uh, was obviously a scientist. The ja uh, James Webb was actually the second administrator of NASA. So administrator means he was the top dog. He was in charge, basically, um, from 1961 to 1968. And he was a really important um, person in the history of NASA because he was, he was there around the time of the Apollo missions, just before, in fact, the first Apollo missions. And he oversaw the first manned spacecraft, uh, manned um, space missions. So the first, first time we, we flew, uh, the Americans flew into space. The reason why the telescope's named after him is not just because of this, it's because of his vision for NASA. So he was told to work on, on these manned space missions, but actually he said, no, wait, I think for, for NASA and, and for kind of science in general, I think we also need to focus on sending missions that don't have people in them. I think we should send missions to to the, the planets without people. We should send these robots. So it was because of his, his push for this that really NASA is what it is today, that we have all these amazing missions to Mars and Jupiter and so on, rather than just focusing on manned space flight. Okay. okay, so what is James Webb gonna do? So it has four main science goals, which I've shown here. I'm just gonna talk to you, talk to you about a couple of them. The first is what's called first light. So this is looking at the very early universe and the kind of origins of the first stars and the first galaxies. So this diagram, hopefully you can just about see, shows you kind of schematic of what we've done in the past to look at, uh, very far back in time. So back in the 1990s, with ground-based observatories, we're able to look uh, back in time about six billion years. So this is using this redshift I said um, which is looking at, at how much the light has been stretched by the expansion of the universe. Hubble was fantastic uh, at, at pushing the boundaries of this, so with various very, very deep 
um, imaging programs from Hubble, like the ultra deep field, we've, we're able now to look way back into the first billion years of the universe. So we can see galaxies now 500 million years after the Big Bang. So these are very, very early galaxies. And the very bottom here shows what James Webb will be able to do. It doesn't actually look that impressive on this diagram, but it is, it's very exciting. Um, so James Webb will be able to go way back um, into very, very early times, so just 100 million years after the Big Bang. So if we imagine the universe as a person, Hubble was able to look at the kind of primary school age of the universe. So it was able to look at, uh, at the universe in the first billion years, which is when it's in primary school. James Webb will be able to look at the kind of toddler, toddler period uh, in the universe's life. So this is when it's just finding its feet. Um, the first stars and galaxies are being formed and we're hoping to understand them. So this is another artist's impression because we really don't know what these first stars are going to be like. They're going to be pretty different to, the, to our sun, for example. Um, this is a very nice artist impression showing you perhaps what one of these first galaxies looked like. So it's not the same as, say, the Andromeda or the Milky Way, where you have this beautiful spiral structure. It's thought to be uh, much more kind of chaotic at early times. So these things have just formed out of um, cosmic filaments and dark matter. So it's a kind of... Uh, beautiful but less ordered galaxy. So the science goals of James Webb are really to look at some of these first stars, see what they're like, look at the first galaxies. Hopefully there's a, um, a few scientists working on looking at the first supernova. So these are very, very early supernova that are thought to be, uh, thought to come from extremely massive stars. So these are stars that are 100 times as massive as our own sun. So these stars are thought to, to exist in the early universe, not anymore. Um, and they are, the explosions that come out of these are, are going to be absolutely amazing, like way, way more energetic than anything we've seen um, to date. So, that, so hopefully we'll be able to see one of these happen. Okay, so now I have a question for you. So this is another one of the, the science goals, but can anyone tell me what this is? Any ideas? The Black hole at the centre of our galaxy. Not quite, no. <laughs> good, good idea, though. Um, so it's going to be one of these three that I haven't talked about, science goals. No idea? There's actually, these are planets. These are actually planets imaged around another star. So it looks a bit funny in the middle, in the middle here. So this is a direct imaging of extrasolar planets. So these are, in fact, four planets around another star. And it looks strange in the middle here because this is incredibly hard to do. The, the light coming from the planet, reflected off the planet, is much, much smaller than the light coming from the star. And so what you have to do is very clever blocking out of the central star. So they use a coronagraph to block out the central star here. And that means you can image these very faint uh, planets. So this is one of the other goals of James Webb. It's going to be able to do this um, for a whole load of different uh, stars and planets and hopefully get more amazing images like this. As well as directly imaging planets, another cool thing you can do with James Webb is look at the composition of the atmospheres of these extrasolar planets. So you do this by so we're using something called transmission spectroscopy, which sounds complicated, but it's, uh, it's not too bad. So, so this is the, the other star. It's not our sun, it's another star. And this is an extrasolar planet in orbit around that star. So you can see its atmosphere here is this green part. Now what happens is the light from the, the star goes through this atmosphere and reaches our telescopes on Earth. And from looking at the, um, the light that comes through this, you can tell what elements are in the atmosphere. So you can look for 
the elements that are very, very crucial for life. So for example, um, hydrocarbons, you can look for methane, you can look for carbon dioxide, you can look for water. And by looking for these things, you can try and see uh, are the conditions there right for life in another solar system. Okay, so I'm running short on time. Um, just to talk very briefly about uh, James Webb, its capabilities. So James Webb is called the successor to Hubble, not the replacement for Hubble, because it's, it's not doing exactly the same thing. As I said, redder light is what it's all about with James Webb. It's trying to look at the infrared emission um, from, from uh, galaxies and stars. And so infrared is something that, in fact, all of us are emitting all the time because we're warm. Warm things emit infrared radiation. So many of you have probably seen this. If you have a thermal imaging camera, uh, we glow in, in the infrared light. I quite like this because it's from the National Geographic and it shows you the difference in temperature between men and women's hands. So the men's hands are on the left, so they're much warmer than the women's hands on the right. I thought that was quite neat. The problem with um, infrared light is that warm things emit light. So we, we emit the infrared light. Also means that your, your telescope, which is essentially a lump of metal in the sun, is also going to get warm and emit this infrared light. So what you need is an absolutely massive shield, sun shield. So this is James Webb's sun shield. It's the size of a tennis court. And this is going to basically just block out the sun's light and make sure that it's cold enough where the telescope is to see this infrared light coming from these faint galaxies, not just the infrared light that's coming from the Earth and from the sun. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the top figure here just shows you how much colder it will be on the, on the cold side of this su sun shield. So on the sun shield side, it's going to be 85 Celsius, uh, which... Yes, 85 Celsius, so that's actually quite warm. On the right, it's going to be minus 233 degrees Celsius if the sun shield works. Okay, so just to wrap up, I've got another question for you. So this is where James Webb is currently. Does anyone know what this is? It's NASA Goddard Space Center again, but it's a slightly different part. Any ideas? So this is James Webb in, wrapped up in plastic, and this here is a massive vibration pad. So what they're doing currently with James Webb is trying to shake it. They're trying to shake it uh, to pieces, really. So what they're trying to do is test whether it will survive the launch, it, whether it will survive this uh, very, very um, shaky launch in the rocket. So what they do is they package it all up, pop it on top of this plate and shake it and see, hope, fingers crossed that nothing falls off. So there you go. So that's where it is at the moment, uh, currently being tested uh, and then uh, by the end of this year, it should be, all the tests should be complete and it should be ready for shipping over to its launch site for launch next year. And I'm just going to end by showing you this video, which is showing you James Webb unfurling in space. Uh, so it's such a big mirror that you need to package it up to get it in the rocket. But then once you launch it, it has to spend about a month unfurling. So you can see the mirror is going to open and the sun shield is going to open. Uh, and I'll end there, so please ask me any questions if you have any. Thank you.